Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 160. And so as I do every 10 episodes, I'm going to be interacting with listener and reader feedback. But I also have some relatively exciting news. Uh, if you heard the advertisement that rolled before the podcast started, you might say, well, that's different. Well, I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I did want to get into some of the emails and uh, comments that I have received in recent history and talk about those. The first email comes from Keith, and this is what he says. Matthew, as always, I appreciate all the content you share with us. Your recommendations have been spot on. I've been debating purchasing the Beast or Seam Sling from Vitavu, but I'm wondering how easy it is to carry your net and quickly retrieve it from the holster. They're so hard to tell from the pictures. I know you like the Beast Sling, so I'm just curious about how you manage your net with it. Admittedly, for all the time I spent on the water, I don't think I've effectively figured out how to carry a net. Thanks so much, and have a great Thanksgiving. Well, Keith, thank you. I did have a very good Thanksgiving. Hope you did as well. So this question is specifically about the Vitavu B sling, and I do want to touch on that, but just hold on. Don't fast forward if this is not your preferred way of carrying your fishing stuff. I want to talk about net holding and net storage and net access in general. I think Keith brought up a very, very good point. So Real quick, to address his specific question, I, I emailed him back, but uh, I'm a huge fan of the Beast Sling because it is like a large capacity bag that is still very low profile. It is incredibly light. It is about the most unobtrusive bag that you can get, which is remarkable considering the size. And it has two options for net storage. So I actually don't have one of the new models. I have an older model. I have one of the old nylon models. Uh, the new models are made of that PVC-coated nylon, and they include a sheath. So you're able to slide the handle of your net into the body of the bag, which is great if you have a long-handled net. I am not a long-handled net user. It's not that I don't catch fish that require a large net. It's just that I don't find myself in situations where a long-handled net is necessary. Uh, I don't fish out of boats very frequently. I'm not fishing in ridiculously fast water. So I use a traditional short-handled fly fishing net. I actually use a wooden net still. I don't have a fancy aluminum or carbon fiber net. I use a old, it's not old, I mean, it's probably about 15 years old. It's an old ish Broden wooden net with a new rubber bag that I actually got from Mr. Broden himself. Anyway, I don't use the sheath 
system in that pack or any other pack. I use a clip and I use it on all of my bags, including my beast sling. So uh, it's a sling pack. And if anyone has a sling pack, they're probably built relatively similar as far as where the net attachment is. And mine is right at my shoulder blade. So if the strap goes over your shoulder, uh, and for me, for my sling, it goes over my left shoulder because I'm right-handed, another reason why I like Beedaboo bags, there's a little clip, a little kind of D-ring style clip uh, that is right about at my left shoulder blade. And that is where the clip on my net goes. I've used different clip attachments over the years, but currently I just use a little C-clamp that is screwed in to the butt of the handle of my net and it has a relatively wide grasping point for me to grab it with my thumb and forefinger and unclip it from that D-ring. Another system that I've used in the past that I actually really liked, it is a little nylon webbing uh, that goes around the top of your net. So kind of at the 12 o'clock position, if you're looking at your net, it's at the, at the top piece. And then there's a just a normal ring, uh, like a keychain style ring uh, that, that goes through that nylon webbing. And then there is a release at the top of whatever your storage solution is. So it's this little release clip. I'm not sure even who made it. I probably bought it from Cabela's or a local fly shop or something like that, but it would hold that thing fast until you gave it enough pressure for it to pop free. So it's a little bit more secure than like a magnetic net release and it was much more slim profile. And I used that for a long time. And that can you know, transfer from a sling pack to a vest to a pair of waders that have a D-ring on them. And it, it just is a, gr a great option. But I like having things in that position where it is at my left shoulder. So I'm fishing with my right hand more often than not. And if I'm going to play a fish, all I have to do is lift up with my left hand to my left shoulder and I can grab that, uh, that net. Or... Another option is if, if that seems like it's too difficult, if you don't have that range of motion, if you're fishing with lots of layers, if things are starting to get puffy and, and now it's like further away from you, something else that I have really enjoyed doing is just stuffing the handle of my net into my waistband of my waders. And that is a great option, a great uh, way to carry things and store things. It, it lays flush against your back. The only time that is inconvenient is when you go to sit down. But if you're sitting down, you can probably take your net out. And, and actually, again, another another product that Vitavu makes to, to accomplish this is they called their Netster. And it's just like a little net holster that slides onto your waiting belt. And it stays there whether I am using it or not. That's how inobtrusive it is. Uh, and this is great. It works for my short-handled nets, but this is actually probably the best thing if you have a long-handled net that you want to carry around with you because it's completely out of the way, and all you got to do is reach behind you with either arm, and you can grab it. So I like to have my net out of the way. I don't like a wet net all over my stuff, but if you're using a rubber-bagged net, then that's not going to be a problem. Um, I like my net to be close to my body. That way I don't have a fly getting hung up on my bagging. But again, if you're using a rubber bag net, that is not going to be as much of an issue. The rubber bag net is the way to go. But as for storage, I would say find a bag or a pack that gives you options. You usually have lots of options. You have some way, if you have to fiddle around and maybe build something on your own to attach a net to the back of your waders, that might be on the back of your waders, kind of between your shoulder blades, or it might be in the waistband of the belt of your waders. Or 
it could be on your pack, whether it be a sheath or whether it be one of the clips that is on it, mess around with it. See what's most convenient. Do real world application. I've said this before, when you load your vest, whether it be with fly boxes or whether it be with a net, put it on and then try to put it in and take it out. Is it convenient? Don't put your stuff in your vest as it's laying on the kitchen table in front of you. Do it while it's on your body. And the same thing is true with your net. Mess around with it. Mess around with it in a t-shirt. Mess around with it in a coat. It might need to move from place to place depending on what you're wearing underneath and what else is in your bag, but that's okay. And that's why I like bags that have lots of different options that are versatile in different angling situations for different species in different times of year. But Keith, hopefully that that's helpful. And uh, as always, if anybody has any questions about those particular bags, uh, the, the VW bags that I have or any other gear that you t- hear me talking about or see me using on, on social media or that I, I reference that, that I, I have, I'm happy to answer questions about how I use it in specific so that there might be some principle or concept that you can take and apply as you make a buying choice or as you try to use that particular piece of gear. All right. The next thing I want to share is I think maybe the first time I've shared a review on iTunes on the podcast in one of these episodes. This is from P.O.'d in Inglewood. That's a fantastic username. I kind of like getting the usernames from from uh, uh, you know Instagram or from uh, these iTunes reviews. Anyway, it says, Matthew, thank you for your time and putting together your podcast. I discovered it a few weeks ago and I've listened to almost all. Very informative and entertaining. I don't know if it's a trait, but many years ago, I had a friend who was mad about fly fishing, especially with bamboo rods and bird hunting with small side-by-side shotguns, who was also a Methodist minister. Conversations with him that taught me so much about fly fishing in life reminds me much about the way you come across. I'm not a fan of all fly fishing podcasts. I tend to severely curate my selections, but I am a fan of yours and also Taylor Trash Fly Fishing. It's quite a wide spectrum, but it's based on the honest desire to improve the fly fishing community. I'm in Florida, so I only get to fish trout in the summer back home in Montana, but you speak to fly fishing as a whole. Well, that's long enough. Thank you again, Joe. So Joe is the real name of P.O. in Inglewood. Anyway, I love that comment. Uh, there's so much good stuff there. I appreciate like the fact that uh, uh, there's a wide spectrum between me and Taylor Trash Fly Fishing. And to be honest with you, that's kind of the only fly fishing podcast I listen to regularly these days uh, anymore. That's not to say I don't listen to other stuff, but it's just a breath of fresh air listening to those guys talk about something very different than what I do in a very different way than I do. Um, I do listen to a lot of other ones, but there's uh, when that pops up on, on my feed on iTunes, I usually go into it right away. But just to touch on something else that Joe brought up, you know, I certainly don't try to proselytize through casting across. That's not the purpose. But I can't be disingenuous and say that everything I do in life, whether it be my pastoral ministry, or whether it be my parenting, or whether it be coaching Little League, or whether it be time out on the stream, or whether it be writing about the Korean culture of fly fishing, my faith influences that. I do not compartmentalize Sunday mornings to its own thing. I believe in a consistent, wide-ranging worldview that has impacts on every aspect of life. If I can't find some way to see cohesion, to see how my worldview and my faith impact something that I'm spending time thinking about or doing, then there's no good reason for me to engage in that, let alone devote a significant amount of time to it. So what Joe brings up is something that I've mentioned before and hopefully something that has got you thinking. Now, again, 
my purpose of this is not trying to convince anyone of my particular worldview or faith, but I do hope that through my writing and through my conversations, you can ask questions about where you fall on what you believe, on uh, more significant truths than uh, what's the weather like today, what are the fish going to be hitting, uh, what's the the lead story in the in the newspaper, and and having those conversations while you are fishing or while you are adjacent to fishing, like I talked about last week when I was talking about what I'm thankful for thankful for having conversations that run adjacent to fly fishing, then that is some of the most fulfilling things to me. I mean, I absolutely love when I'm up in front of the congregation and preaching and being able to do that. I absolutely love having counseling sessions in my office. I absolutely love those things, but I also love having a quick conversation about people's perspective on life on the side of the stream about hanging out after a fly fishing event and talking about what people have going on, what they're doing with their family, and kind of what they see themselves doing now and in the future. Those are the reasons why I keep coming back. It's way more than just catching fish. And so hopefully you have those relationships in your life. Uh, you know, Joe references a, a, a minister that he used to hunt and fish with. Hopefully you have somebody like that. That doesn't need to be in a vocational ministry, but somebody who challenges you, who asks you hard questions. And hopefully you're okay to be asked hard questions of. I really do feel like we are in a day and age where unfortunately we are not training our young people to be able to handle hard questions. Hard questions are not safe anymore. Hard questions are not comfortable. Uh, Somehow, at the same time, hard questions can be both violence and also silence can be violence. I'm not sure exactly how that all works. But hopefully you are in a situation, regardless of your age, where you can having conversations about and then thinking about things that are greater than fly fishing while you are fly fishing. And I've heard it before. I go fly fishing to avoid that stuff. So what are you doing when you're on the water? What are you thinking about? I'm not saying I'm contemplating the the nature of the deepest existential aspects of the universe while I'm on the water. I'm saying that I take opportunity here and there while I'm walking to, driving from, engaging in fly fishing to think about things that have been pressed on my mind and on my heart and that might be something that I'm having conversation with in relationship with somebody else. So that'd be my encouragement to you. If I made it sound too lofty, then boil it down to its its lowest common denominator, and that is good too. Just figuring out what's going on with somebody and what's going on with you. That's incredibly important and incredibly valuable, and it's been baked into fly fishing for centuries and centuries. Go back and read stuff from uh, you know 300 years ago, and it's going to be in there as well. It's that contemplative, relational, and I would even say religious and theological aspect of fly fishing. The third and final little bit of content that I'm going to share from a listener or a reader is an email from John, and John writes, quick question, what do you wear for socks when wading with your astral shoes? Thanks, and thanks for all you do. John. So you might say, why are we talking about wet wading in December? Well, there's a chance that some of you are looking for some pretty good Christmas presents and are thinking about the shoes or boots that you're going to use come springtime. John specifically asked about my astral shoes. So I now have two pairs. One is an older model of their Brewer, which is like a kayaking shoe, and the other is the TR1 Mesh, which is a light hiker, but they're both phenomenal uh, on the water. And 
I usually go barefoot. Uh, I just go slip on, uh, tie them up, and call it good. And the reason being is that they drain incredibly well. Now, I will wear a sock if I'm hiking for a longer period and then take the shoe and the sock off, put the sock in my backpack, and then wade completely wet. That being said, there are times where I wear a sock that is a natural and synthetic blend, giving it that uh, comfort in the, the natural materials like wool, and then the nylon has that quick dry feature to it. And this is something I picked up by before I actually had those kind of wading shoes when I was using wading boots and doing wet wading, where I would just wear some of my nicer hiking socks and cinch them up really tight on those. And I found that they'd stay soggy, but it wasn't uncomfortable as long as it wasn't for a prolonged period of time. Now, they do make wet wading socks. And I have a pair of, I think, two millimeter socks from Corkers that are hold. Hold is not the right word to say. Ventilate is not the right word to say because there's, you know, it's water, not air. But uh, it allows water to come in and out. But your feet are going to stay much more comfortable up against that neoprene than they are going to be against something that is going to hang onto water. So the only water in a neoprene sock, especially something that does have holes in it for drainage purposes, is going to be the water that is in there temporarily until it can get squirted out and then just a little bit of moisture, which is different than having a wet sock up against your foot for a long walk, especially if you have to have, you know, like a mile plus water walk back from the water to your vehicle. That's just going to be kind of gross and it's not going to feel good and it's not the best thing for your feet, especially your toes. Uh, Just kind of sounds gross and I think you can probably generate some nasty mental images as I talk about that. So I like to have a couple of different options. I do like to go barefoot. I do have socks that will be quick dry, but then I do also have those socks from Corkers that are great wet wading socks because they are thin, they can fit into a shoe, they can fit into a wading boot and they drain out very well. I did see something online. I can't remember the company. They're an outdoor sock uh, company and footwear company, I believe, and they were claiming to have wet wading socks that would fit in shoes or wading boots and give you all-day comfort. Uh, If I find that, I'll maybe mention it again, but if you know who that is or if that's you for some, uh, you know, interesting coincidence, let me know because I think keeping your feet healthy is like incredibly important for life, but especially for fly fishing. If you have a toe, foot, ankle, knee, back, hip injury, then you're not going to be casting well. You're not going to be waiting well. You're going to not go as far into the woods. So the, anything you can do to preserve that and be more comfortable, it's going to pay off dividends in the quality of your fishing when you're on the water and the quantity of fishing that you get to do. So John, thank you for that question. It is very appropriate, even though we are in December, especially as we're looking to buy and receive or ask for gifts this time of year. Thank you to all of those who wrote in and who chirped on social media and who left reviews on iTunes. I appreciate it. Everyone gets a response in one way, shape, or form, and a couple of them make them to these podcasts. So if you have any questions or comments or accusations, feel free to let me know at Matthew at castingacross.com. I do appreciate it. You can let me know via Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or you can leave a review and a rating on iTunes, and I will see it, and I will I will get back to you in some way or another. 
this week on castingacross.com. First article, a relatively big one, not super fly fishing focused, but a big article is called Changes at Casting Across. And I want to talk about this briefly. If you read it already, then you kind of know what's going on. But I'm not making any changes to what you're getting. It's all going to be the same. But there's two big changes that I'm making in the way you're getting it. The first one is the website has automatically generated emails from day one. Every post, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for the last six plus years, an email has gone out when a post has gone out. I don't like that. I never have liked that. I just never did anything about it, and that's on me. But just this last couple of weeks, I have found a new newsletter service that I'm going to be implementing. I'm not sure how long it's going to last because once you hit a certain threshold of subscribers, things change. But for now, I'm switching from there being a email every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday when a new post comes out to there being a once a week newsletter style email. So if you have have either signed up and then unsigned up, uh, unsubscribed because of the volume of emails you're getting, um, please go ahead and sign up. There's going to be a sign-up form on the right sidebar of the website if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of every article. If you're using it on a device, you just scroll down past an article and you'll find a a sign-up form. And if you sign up, then you will just get a a once-a-week email with all three posts, the two articles and the one podcast and the podcast notes. And then you can click on whatever you want and it'll take you to castingacross.com and you'll be able to access all of the content and then all the old stuff there also. I might add some more things to the newsletter as I get more comfortable with using it, but that was something that I, I wanted to do for a comfort and ease of use uh, aspect for the website. Now you can always subscribe in like an RSS feed or just stay, you know, uh, connected to me uh, via like Facebook or Twitter, uh, and and you'll get all of those posts as soon as they come out because they go out on social media as soon as they're published. But I don't want to be super intrusive with the email anymore, so that's why I have changed to a newsletter format. Secondly, I have hopped onto the Waypoint TV network with the podcast. So you heard an advertisement or an advertisement on the beginning of this podcast and you're going to hear one at the end of it. And who knows, if you're listening to in this future, you might have have heard one in the middle of the podcast also. But that is part of the Waypoint TV uh, change that I've made. So the content remains the same. Everything that you've heard today on the podcast, as far as me talking, is the same kind of stuff that I would have said last week or last month or last year. But being part of the network is doing a couple things. One, I'm not having to negotiate and deal with my own advertisers anymore. Uh, I don't have big pop-up ads on the website, but in the podcast, I do have advertisers, and it's kind of standard across the industry. Now, not everybody does it, and that's great. I'm not saying that I'm better worse, different than anybody else. This is just the way I'm choosing to do it. And I like doing it through Waypoint because it is not just an advertising benefit, it is also being plugged in with a number of other great fly fishing, fishing, hunting, hiking, general outdoors podcasts, TV shows, and classes. And so you can download the Waypoint TV app, and that can go onto your device, whether it be your phone or your tablet, or even your smart TV. I'm not sure why you'd want to listen to my podcast on your TV, but if that's more convenient, then great. But there's some awesome shows that you can access on there. I'm excited about going through that. I mentioned earlier that there's not a lot of fly fishing podcasts that I listen to regularly, aside from from a couple. I'm excited to hear about listening to more hunting 
and outdoors podcasts. Uh, I've mentioned that I've recently got into waterfowl hunting. So that's something that I want to integrate into kind of my, my weekly routine. And I can do that. And you can do that through Waypoint TV. So definitely subscribe uh, through that app and check out what else is on there. But it's going to create some cool networking and some cool uh, opportunities to, to get uh, plugged in with some other voices and some other outdoor pursuits. So I'm excited about it. Hopefully it uh, is good things for me, for everyone else on that network, and ultimately at the end of the day for you, the listener, and the reader. The second article on castingacross.com this week is called Give the Gift of Fly Fishing. Now every, not every, that's a little hyperbole, virtually every article I've put out in the last five years about gift giving, whether it be Christmas, whether it be Father's Day, whether it be whatever, I've included Take Someone Fishing. But it's always been like one little paragraph, one little snippet. This year, uh, in anticipation of the holiday season, I put out an entire article on things that you can do, steps that you can take to get somebody on the water and make that a fly fishing gift. So included in that is a couple of recommendations for tangible parts of that gift, but more importantly, how you can prepare and execute a great fishing gift that doesn't depend on the tangible things. So there, that's part of it. Can't go fishing without fishing stuff. But the more important thing is you and that person getting out and spending time together. And so that touches back to that conversational, relational, uh, contemplative aspect that I talked about earlier in the podcast. But that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of us appreciate about that. So how do you give that as a gift? So that's in Wednesday's article. This week's recommendation on the podcast Rio Elite Fly Lines. Now, I've mentioned Rio Lines a number of times on the podcast. I've mentioned Rio Elite Lines as well. But if you're looking for a unique Christmas gift, buy someone what I believe is the highest quality fly line that you can get in a commercial space, and that is Rio's Elite Lines. Now, I've fished the Elite Rio Gold for trout, and I've fished the Elite Rio Perception for trout. Um, Different tapers, uh, I think I have five weight and six weight, and they really are a step above most other fly lines. I have been impressed with their slickness. I've been impressed with their durability. I've been impressed with their builds, both of their material and their taper. And I've been uh, impressed with their lack of memory uh, after being on a, a smaller reel. So they run at over $125. So this is a premium fly line. But honestly, the difference between like a $400 fly rod and an $800 fly rod is not as big as the difference between a $75 fly line and a $125 fly line. So if you want to give someone a nice gift that fly fishes that might have some really good line, this is a way to only spend a couple more dollars and get the best line. Now again, fly line, like rods, like so many other things, come down to personal preference, personal style, but this is a great option and a good gift for somebody who might have everything. So I'll put a link to Rio's elite lines and especially ones within the the trout uh, line of things on the show notes for this page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. country 
rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.